first two in your own in your own words. That's the considerate joy. You have memorized it so perfectly that you just can't even think of any other words. This is our review. <laughs> Verse 2. Of course, not all trials could be bad. It could be good, too. Yes. So it could build us up. Like, for example, building a house. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, trials, trials can be um, anything that causes stress, and, that, and you can have good stress. Um, exciting things, you know, but it also can be hard things. Okay, uh, what about verse 3? If you were telling, you know, a five-year-old what verse 3 means, what would you say? Stop crying. <laughs> Stop, Stop your sniveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you know, there's We'll so, just see. There might be good things. Yes, Chris? You're going to have better character mm -hmm. by experiencing this yes. situation at school. Renee, we saved you a front, front row seat there. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, yes, that it builds character that um, when, the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, that's like Hezekiah 610 or something. But that's kind of what this is saying. What about verse 4? How would you summarize it to a five-year-old? Um, no pain, no gain. <laughs> yes. Or it gets going, gets tough. The tough goes shopping. I've heard that. I've heard that too. Yes, when the going gets tough, the tough goes shopping. So, so the whole thing of verse two, three, and four is he doesn't say if you should encounter some difficulty. He says when. In other words, you live in a fallen, broken world. You are fallen, broken people, but you're in Christ. And so you should not be surprised. Um, there's a verse in Peter somewhere I wrote down the reference where it says, don't be, First uh, Peter 4 something, don't be surprised when you encounter various trials as though it were some strange thing. Like, what do you expect when you live in a broken world and you're surrounded by people that are broken and fallen and you are broken and fallen? What do you expect is going to be the outcome? There's going to be things that are difficult. I, I don't think James is writing about trivial trials. Like parking spaces and no, stuff? I don't think no. About that. no. Things like what's happening in Israel or. Yes. 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 And are not allowed to have a job. Mm -hmm. Their their property taken away, right. things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Joe's saying that um, James isn't talking about trivial little inconveniences. Oh, my washing machine broke, or you know, um, I I I had to park way out in the back 40, you know, that kind of thing. He's talking about big things that are life-altering. Uh, and, and who's his audience? Who's he writing to? Verse 1 or verse... Yeah. They're Jewish people and they're scattered. 
So that means they've been run out of wherever they live, Jerusalem, or I mean, he's in Jerusalem. Um, wherever they live, they've been they're they're um, they're exiles. They're they're um, displaced people, and. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm. Yes. Yeah. We want to clarify that that doesn't mean that we can't take uh, smaller petitions to God. You know, it's okay to pray for a close parking spot if you need it for some good reason, like a person with you can't walk very far or you've got a heavy thing to carry. Not just because you're lazy, but. Um, the other point is, it says various. Various trials. That means. So I feel like. Situations where it seems like the things I'm going through are not that big, but when you add them all together, oh, yes. it is becomes a big yes. trial. Yes, yes. Renee's saying that when he says various trials, he could be talking about, hey, you may have um, a medium-sized, a small, a small, another small, a medium-sized thing all going on at once, and that makes it more overwhelming. So yes, we certainly should talk to God about these things. And actually, we're going to get into that um, in verse 5 and 6. Um, when we're in these situations that are tough, um, what should we do? Well, we should count it joy because we know God is still sovereign. But also, we should take it to him, right? So the very first word in verse 5 is what? But. Okay, so he says, count your trials as joy, knowing that God's at work and he's going to produce endurance in you. In other words, if you, if you handle this in a way that honors God and the same thing happens or a similar, very parallel thing happens to you in two years, it's not going to be as traumatic or it's not going to send you reeling as much because you're like, okay, I went through this before. God was faithful. Um, Let's just walk through this and see what God's doing. So it's not going to be as big of a trial in your mind. And when we get down to, like, in the next lesson, like verses 12, 13, 14, when it talks about temptation, I think he's still talking about trials. When hard things happen, what are we tempted to do? Run away. Yeah, run away. <laughs> Dear God, please fix this, yeah. you know, right now. By 1030, you know, so so um, in verse five, OK, verse four, he says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we talked about that. That means maturity. That means that you're that you don't have any big gaps. Um, there's not no big gaps in my life that I just haven't let let God, you, you know, work in. And it doesn't mean that that we're entirely and totally holy, 100% of the time, every decision, every thought, every word, precisely in line with God's will, because we still live in this world. But it means that we're balanced, we're whole in Christ, we're growing, we're, we're where we're supposed to be, we're moving toward that. Okay, so then he starts out in verse 5, and he says, but... Because he just said lacking in nothing. And so then what does it say on verse 5? Oh, I thought we were lacking nothing. So now he says, but uh, if, 
How does it work? But if any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom. Okay, so. Yes, I don't understand why this is happening. If you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom as to, um, is this some stupid thing that I did and I'm just reaping the natural consequences? Is it because uh, somebody's out to get me? Is it because, hey, everybody on the street got this two inches of rain today. I'm not anything unique. I still have to deal with, you know, the flooding in my basement or whatever. So knowing a little bit about why, and there's lots of trials, we don't know ever, we won't ever until eternity know why, but also how to respond and what should I do? Boy, this one threw, threw me for a loop. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, um, what, what should they do? What should that person do? Okay. So that's the main, um, if you were going to be like a, a grammar Nazi and diagram it or something, the main thing is ask of God. And then it says, under these conditions and why you would ask God and all that stuff. So, so I'm going to say, let him ask of God. And then... When would you ask? Well, if you lack wisdom. Because there's lots of other times you would ask God for things. Okay. Um, let him ask of God. And then it tells us some things about God. On page 12, question 2B. So, so this God character, what do we know about him? According to the verse, and then you, and you also thought about this on Page 12, question 2B. To be or not to be? Page 12. Okay. So it says he gives generously. And what else? Without reproach. Okay, so I don't, don't remember that they had you look up those words. Nope. But I did, of course. And, of course. <laughs> and so, um, generously, it means graciously, bountifully, um, without undue complications. And it can mean, like, simply. Or um, uh, it literally comes, well, okay, the word for those of you that are word nerds, it's number 574. And that word comes from 573, which means without folds, without folds. In other words, it's not all convoluted and all this stuff. 
if you ask God for something, he gives it generously, straightforward. It's like if you ask somebody if you could, uh, if they could lend you 50 bucks until payday Friday, and then they go into all these conditions. Well, what if your check bounces Friday? What if this? What if that? What if, you know, make it so complicated. Yes, I'll lend it to you, but you got to do these three errands for me. And then if this happens and that happens, and you're like, forget it. <laughs> So it's just God gives generously, but it means simply, without complications, um, without secrets, clearly, um, without undue complications is probably one of the best meanings. And then the other thing is without reproach. Reproach is 3679. This one's 574. 3679. And it means um, kind of what you would think reproach means. It means to, to find fault with, to disgrace or shame somebody. <sighs> Come on, you're asking me for wisdom again? Haven't we been through this about 50 times even this month? You know, God's not going to shame you like that. My parents... Sometimes I would, I would be in a situation and they would say, you should have known that or you should have known better. And sometimes when I was bold, I would say, well, how should I have known? Because it's not like they ever talked to me about that specific thing. It's just like, I guess they thought like the general family philosophies and ways of doing things, I should have been able to apply, interpret and apply. But God's not going to do that. He's not going to say, oh, you are wearing me out with this stuff. If, if we need help, you know, he's, gonna, he's not going to find fault. He's not going to shame us, disgrace us, insult us, um, defame us, or rail at us. Those are all meanings. And it comes from a word meaning to show the teeth. Like, <laughs> okay, so that's the kind of God that we're going to. Um, let's see. Um, so what's going to be the result then? If I ask of God, and we know what God's like in this, in, at least in this aspect, and this is when we would ask, so what's going to be the result? Yes, and it will be given. Yes, and somebody said, oh, but there's some conditions later on. Yes, and it will be given to him. Who's him? Okay, the person that asked, the person that lacks wisdom, and, you know, up in the first or second verse, he said brethren, and that's a general term. We talked, it, it involves sistren as well. So if you're a sistren, it, it, him, don't be put off by that. It's just how the language works. Okay, um, so, uh, so we know who him is. What's it? It will be given. Okay, wisdom in this situation. All right, just making sure. Um, Let's see. You had a question um, on page 11, the first question. It talked about, um, 
Let's see. Down at the bottom, what's the re... Well, no, we already talked about that. We already talked about that. Um, we, we already covered that, even though it's in my notes here. Okay. Um, well, that's a good promise, right? If I lack wisdom, I should ask God, and he's going to give me just straightforward, not a lot of hoo-ha and messing and conditions. And Now, there are conditions, but not complicated. It's not going to be a puzzle or anything like that. And without shaming me or telling me I should know better or why am I struggling with this again, um, and it will be given. Okay. Um, but... There might be some conditions, huh? So page 13 in your lesson, you have a question. Um, question 4B, we already answered 4A, what will be God's response? He will give generously and without reproach. That's verse 5. Are there conditions that must be fulfilled on your part? If so, what are they? So let's... Um, so this, okay, this is verse 5. Now we're going on to verse 6. Okay. Another, what's the first word? But. Okay, so uh, if you ask God, and we know what God's like, um, it will be given. Okay, but. But what? But he must. Ask in faith. Um, in faith and without something. Okay, without doubting. Okay, so this is how we ask. Up here we've got when we ask, who we ask, what God's like, and what result we can expect. So now it's like it's the manner that we ask, who, who we ask. He must ask in faith and without any doubting. Um, just a little interesting language thing. This doubting is, in the Greek, it's the form of, like you have a main verb, ask, must ask. And then you have a secondary verb, that's kind of like in the background. It's happening while the main verb. So it's possible to ask and still have some doubting going on. And that's what he's saying. We want to we ask as best we can without doubting. Yes. Yes. It's a pattern. It's not like something just flips through your mind and you go, uh, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what God, you know. It's a, it's a present participle. It's something happening during the action of the main verb, and it tells how you're asking with, you know, or, well, shouldn't be asking without doubting. Okay. Okay, so why would that be? For... All right, what's the next phrase? For... The one who doubts for the one who doubts is like, oh, so now there's a comparison, something that 
he thinks that they're familiar with, and so it kind of gives them an understanding of what he's explaining that's not as tangible. It's an idea. It's a concept. Okay, uh, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Are we into verse 7 yet? No, okay. Um, okay. Uh, what, what's the surf of the sea like? Driven and tossed by the wind. And back and forth, yes. Um, yes, good point. Okay, so, so what he's saying is, if I doubt, and we'll talk a little bit more about what doubt means. Did they have you look that up? Yeah. Okay, yay. Then, okay, question five, page 13, that's what I have written down. Okay, so these two, these two uses of doubt are the same. They might be a slightly different form. Um, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So what he's saying about the surf of the sea doesn't sit there, this little clump of water doesn't say, you know, I think I'll like, I'll, I'll go over here today or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like shoot up in a, in a little spray today. No, the wind, however the wind goes, that's how the water goes. In other words, it's not in control of where it goes. So, so the one who doubts doesn't have, like, you're not in control anymore if you're, if you're doubting. Let's talk about that word doubt. So uh, what number did you get? 1252? Okay. 1252. And um, it's D-I-A... K-R-I-N-O. Okay. Um, what does it mean? I might not be able to write all this, but I'll try to repeat it. What does it mean? To oppose or discern. To oppose or discern. Okay. Waver. To waver. To vacillate. To hesitate. Stagger. It's um, one, one place I found, it says to be at variance with myself. In other words, that, like, oh, should I do that? No, no, that would be dumb. Should I do that? No, that might, oh, I don't, maybe I should do this. You know, well, oh, I have another idea. You know, just, just not steady, not, not having a sense of, okay, I know what God wants me to do here. So it's that hesitating, um, um, and the dia, well, this crino is like judgment, it's, it's to judge. And we came across that, um, do we already come across that? Let's see. Consider, I think, in verse 2, yeah. to consider. I think that was from the same root, to, to, to judge, to assess, to decide. Okay, and then, and the dia is a, it, it just means like back and forth, or through, or thoroughly, thoroughly yes, like, yeah, yeah, so, 
So the idea of being, oh, maybe I, no, I shouldn't do that. Oh, maybe I should just wait and see. No, no, I got to do something, you know. Just that indecision, that confusion of the mind. Okay. Interestingly, under that here now, mm -hmm. it also says going too far. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah, if you're judging somebody. Well, right, but I'm mm -hmm. saying if you're vacillating back and forth, and instead of being more steady, you're like going too far to the left and too oh, yeah. far to the right. Yeah. Yeah, go, um, Renee says that she found under Crino that it can mean going too far. And so you could see how if you're like, oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I'm tired of messing with it. I'm going to go and do this. That'll take care of it. You know, just being sort of extreme and all that. Yes. If I ask the Lord for wisdom... And while I'm waiting for him to give the wisdom, I decide, like Abraham, I better help God out. You know, that's not good. Okay. Yes, ma'am. You're talking about doubting about what you're asking and not doubting that God will answer. Um, I think it can be both. Yeah. I always thought it was like I feel sometimes I feel like God's going to do what he's going to do. So I'm sort of doubting. Why I'm even asking. Yeah, yeah, that's. Because, you know. Jenny's saying, okay, does doubting mean I'm doubting that God's even involved, or am I doubting that He's going to do what I think He's already said He's going to do, for example? So, so I think, you know, it's in this context of asking for wisdom in the middle of something difficult, and we can't, we shouldn't ask, um, without doubt we should ask in faith without doubting so i think those two things are maybe are opposites like in faith not doubting and faith um, could be in who god is it could be in his faithfulness and that his goodness that when he works this situation out it's it's okay it's gonna it's gonna be good in the long run so i don't I'm not sure if I answered your question totally. <laughs> the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, and we said that's driven and tossed. Okay. Um, so. Right. You don't want to just keep giving gifts like to somebody, and, and there's no relationship. With oh, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I really think it's about doubting that God's going to come through. Yeah, who He is and how what, and what He cares about. Times yeah. I've been involved with a really painful, painful trial. Satan gets this whole thing oh, yeah. in your mind, and he tries to plant the seeds of doubt. Mm -hmm. Is this really going to be good? Is there mm -hmm. really something mm -hmm. that's going to be good? Yeah. Yeah, I think... So, I think in trials and when, we, when we're struggling, I think that wind is Satan, one of the big factors. And so Renee's saying that, that God doesn't need us to ask. He doesn't say, I'm not doing a thing until you ask me for it. And you have to ask me quite a few times and you have to be really sure that I'm going to eventually do it. It's about a context of a relationship. And... And um, just think of as a parent, if you have a child, and maybe some of you do, and it's very painful, 
who always wants something from you, but they don't really want a functional relationship with you. You're not as eager to give to them as, as a child that you have a pretty healthy relationship with and they just come upon a need and then there's a way that you have the ability to help. So, so that's part of the faith versus doubting is, is having confidence that God is who he said he is, um, what he said about his love for me and my salvation and his protection and provision, that those promises are true whether I feel like it right now or not. Whether, whether I'm seeing several little things that suggest to me, oh, I don't think so, or other people are saying, you know, you probably should just do such and such. I don't think you can count on God to do blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you just need to take, take this by, you know, in, in, the hand, in your own hands. Okay, so if I ask in doubt, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For, that's how verse 7 starts, right? So he's kind of explaining to us, for, for, all right, what does it say? That man or woman, brethren and sistren, that person, the, I have the one, so anyway, um, Let's see, for that man ought, ought not to expect that, that what? That he will receive anything and by that, they mean from the Lord. Okay, so that man ought not to expect that he will receive. Okay, and then we're told something about this person who's, who's living in doubt. And what are we told about this person? Being, okay, double-minded. Being double-minded. Being a double-minded man, being a double-minded man, and then what's the other description? Unstable, Unstable in all his ways. Okay. Um, Now, when it says should not expect that he will receive anything, it's in context. He's asked for something. He's asked for wisdom, but he's struggling with doubt. And so he should not expect that he's going to receive wisdom that he's asked for about this situation because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Did we look up any of those words? Because I did. <laughs> Um, oh, I think on page 14, uh, maybe not, let's see, I have page 14, oh, question seven, yeah, yeah, how would you explain a double-minded man, and so I looked up the word, 
Does he have legitimate excuses? Um, okay, double-minded is 1374. 1374. And it means literally two minds. It's disukos. Di meaning like a duo or or a duet or double, you know, that two. And then pasukos is like psychology and psychiatrist, you know, having to do with the mind. So it's of two minds. It means wavering, doubting, vacillating, kind of, kind of a, a lot like, a, like this, kind of a lot like this word. Um, uh, divided in interests, and, and in chapter 4, there's a big emphasis on uh, getting wisdom from God, the wisdom from above, and wisdom from the world. So this is not the last that we're going to hear about wisdom. Again, chapter 1 kind of introduces those major, those major um, topics. Um, let's see. Unstable means... Oh, I need to give you a number. 182. Unstable means um, unsettled, restless, not constant or consistent. And it literally means not set in order. In other words, it's just kind of chaos, kind of. So that's quite a picture of like being confused, being um, uncertain, can't, can't really decide what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay. How are we doing for time? Where are we? Ten minutes. Okay. Um, Let's see what we had some cross references that I thought were pretty good. Um, what did we um, the cross references? Let's see, we read some of them last week in class, didn't we? Uh, on page eleven, we had Romans five, First Peter one, First Peter four, and after um, th we read those in class last week, right? Okay, when I read over them, maybe you noticed this. I hadn't noticed that each one of them talks about rejoicing. Just like, count it all joy, brethren. So each one of them talks about rejoicing. And in fact, the Peter term has rejoice, rejoice, and be overjoyed. So it had three times. And that's the passage that 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, 4c, that's the reference I was mentioning before where it says don't be surprised at your fiery at at your fiery ordeal which comes upon you for testing as though it's strange but you share Christ's suffering listen if Jesus didn't have an easy life on the earth why would I think I should why would I think that keep on rejoicing so that you may rejoice and be overjoyed at the revelation of his coming so two of them talk about an eternal perspective. The other Peter one does too. Okay, so let's... Yes, participate. Active participation, yes. Okay, let's read uh, 9, 10, and 11. 
see if we can finish this up. Um, but, another but, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because, another comparison, like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, so in the same way, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now, I'm, I don't want to rush this because I think it's pretty important. But one thing I noticed is that when he talks about the, the grass fading away and the flower falling and all that stuff, um, those of you that studied Isaiah with it, that's a quote from Isaiah 40. And so since these are Jewish people that he's writing to that believe in Christ, I think their little brains would be going, ding, 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 that's Isaiah. And so Isaiah 40, if you remember, is the beginning of the second major section of Isaiah. The first part is all about judgment and you guys aren't following me and, and there's going to be consequences and you get tests and you fail them. Oh, that's kind of like James. There's tests um, and there's doubting. Remember the one king that's, that said, nah, I don't, I'm not going to test God. I, I don't, no, nah, I don't, I'm not going to have him do what he said he would do. And, and so in chapter 40, then, he talks about how big God is. It starts out, comfort, comfort my people. And it ends up with the um, uh, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. So I want, um, Steve is going to play that chapter for us. And it's, it's visual. It, sh it has the words up here. And then there's a good strong voice reading it. And just kind of think about what these people that James is writing to, when they think about Isaiah 40, where this same idea of the grass passing away, some of the things that might come into their mind. Hit it. I don't know if we have to watch a commercial or not. Maybe not. Yeah. There should be a little arrow on it somewhere to hit. Oh, okay. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with him. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not harm. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow in them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to pray.